All right. So, uh, as we continue to worship together this morning, uh, we are going to open up God's Word in Ephesians. Now, uh, those of you that have been tracking with us since January, you're going to maybe realize that we're not in 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, If you're just joining us, we've been working through 1 Corinthians since the beginning of January. Week by week, just breaking apart the... uh, what Paul has to say in, in Scripture there. And um, we're going to continue doing that. We'll get back at that next week. I believe we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 next week. Uh, and we'll finish the year, or finish the year out. We'll finish the book out. Um, it'll actually take us through June. But we took a little break today for, for Easter because the rules are different on Easter. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are special preaching rules for Easter Sundays. Back when I was, was learning to be a pastor, I had a class on preaching, hermeneutics, you don't care, um, but it, it's a fancy word you can use later. Um, but in my hermeneutics class, uh, I remember having a lecture by the professor, and, and, and basically he let us know that Easter was to be a special Sunday, right? And Easter was to be a special Sunday, and that you were not to mess up Easter, And the reason for that is because on Easter, you're going to see people you haven't seen in a while, right? Like, like there will be people that will come to Easter service that you haven't visited in a while, that that haven't been able to make it on a regular basis, perhaps some people you've never met. And so you want to do a really good job on Easter. So here's what they told us. Pick one verse and focus on that one verse and don't say anything negative. Because you don't want to scare people away. And whatever you do, keep it light. Now, here's the thing. I am not what you would call a rule follower. (laughs) I'm not a rule breaker necessarily, right? Um, On purpose. Um, but, but sometimes I, I think that, that rules are silly. And so today's one of those days. And so we're just going to have a normal Sunday. Um, it just happens to be Easter. Um, and in our normal Sunday, um, I may say some things that ruffle some feathers. And I'm sorry about that ahead of time. Not really. Um, and I may, um, I may do some things and, and, and um, share some things that are a little bit harder for us to swallow. But here's what I'll promise you. It ends well. Stay with me, because it gets good. It, it, it may be off to a rocky start, right? But, but when we get there, I think we're going to find that it was worth it to see what God has to say. And today we're, we're going to focus in on um, God's ridiculous, amazing grace. And that's what Paul writes about in, in the letter he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2. Um, he writes about God's grace. And we are all desperately in need of God's grace. And if um, we could spend the next little while getting into that, it, it, it would be helpful. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I'll show you what you need on the screen. But sometimes it's helpful to read along um, in your Bibles. Um, If you've got them handy, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 2. To start with, I'm just going to go ahead and read you the 10 verses that we're going to look at this morning. 2 verses 1 through 10. 
It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, right? So it starts off really positive. Once you were dead because you were sinners. Once you were dead because of your many sins and your disobedience, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. You're not supposed to talk about the devil on Easter, right? That was one of the rules, right? Because the devil is weird. And people don't like to talk about that. But here we are, rule breakers, right? He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we're going to dig in to that text, and and, and we're going to discover God's amazing grace. Appropriate for Easter. Now, here's the deal. Um, One of the things they told us in seminary on Easter was you have to have a really good, compelling story. So you should sit down, let your voice get low, so people really lean in and listen. Lean in and listen. I want to tell you about a guy named John. I can't sit for very long. It's great that there's a stool up here for that, though. Uh, I want to tell you about a guy named John. John was born in 1725. And John was awful. John was a sailor. Right? And uh, John had a nickname. True story. The Great Blasphemer. Sounds like a good guy, right? John's nickname was the Great Blasphemer. John used so much horrific terrible language that the captain of the ship that he worked on um, said that, that his, his language went past the realm of regular debauchery and he made up new words. The great blasphemer hated God. He was hated by everybody else in return. Once he fell off the boat and his shipmates, instead of throwing him life preservers, actually threw harpoons. John, he, he irritated his captain and, and pushed the limits of, of arrogance so much that once his captain had him stripped naked, flogged eight dozen times in front of the 350 men. John was so embarrassed and so angry that he decided that that would be the last time someone embarrassed him. So he plotted he would kill his captain and then commit suicide. But before he could carry it out, a great storm rose up, 
um, that had everybody on the boat thinking they were done for. And they were all going to die. And John found himself praying, calling out to God in desperation for a God that he hated, that he blasphemed to do something to help save him and the men on the ship. And of course, when the storm passed and and everything settled, John had to reconcile the hypocrisy in his crying out and screaming out to a God that he had always despised. And he thought to himself, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, there's something there. And so he started reading his Bible, started praying, started going to church, started listening to teaching, and eventually John Newton was transformed by the grace of God, and he decided to write about it. And in 1775, he he finally put pen to words, um, and he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And many of you probably know that story already, but, but I want you to imagine, right? I want you to imagine thinking about the life of John Newton and the debauchery and the anger that the great blasphemer had for God and the total transformation by the grace of God in his life that he wrote these words. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me because once I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. See, that is the work of God's grace that is available for people that want it. Right? And unfortunately, many of us are closer to John Newton before God's grace than we care to admit. But man, we are just one interaction. We are just one interaction with the grace of God away from being transformed and made new. That's what, that's what Paul writes about in Ephesians 2, and that's what we're going to dig in today. So go ahead and open up. We'll start here, allegedly. We'll start here with, with three things. We're going to read three things in that text, okay? Three things that Paul tells us about God's grace, right? Three things that's true about every person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Starts with this, just this simple reminder that you were. You were something not good. You were. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ, if you understand the cross and you've surrendered to the cross and you're following God, then you aren't anymore. Right? But as Paul unpacks Ephesians, he's saying, you were. You were something bad. You were. Maybe some of you here today, I know Easter rules, we're going to break it. Maybe some of you here today are still. I don't know, man. I don't know your heart. That's between you and God, right? But, but we were before God. But here's the thing. He's also going to tell us that not only were we, but then he's going to tell us, starting in verse 4, there's a but God moment. You were, but God. God is going to do something when we surrender to Jesus. God is going to do something that's going to transform everything. And then he's going to tell us that it's all by grace. You were, but God, by grace. Let's dig in. We'll start with you were. Here's what he says. He says, you were dead. 
Because of your sins, you were dead. Of course, there he's talking about two kinds of death. He's talking about spiritual death. Right? You're like, man, I was never dead. I've been alive my whole life. Okay? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You are physically alive. But he's talking about spiritual death. You were spiritually dead. And that spiritual death was going to be followed by something horrifically, tragically awful. That spiritual death was going to be followed by an eternal death. We understand because we trust and read the Bible that that eternal death is something called hell. You're not supposed to talk about hell on Easter and I'm sorry. Welcome to Blessed Hope. But that spiritual death is going to be followed by an eternal death. The eternal death is hell. It says once you were dead, spiritually dead, and you were destined for hell. Why? Because of your disobedience and your many sins. It says you used to live in sin. Like sin used to be your whole life. Can I tell you something? If you don't know Jesus, your whole life is sin. You're like, man, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I know. But without Jesus, your life is sin. He says, you used to live in sin, just like everybody else. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And I've known people, they say, Matt, I've never, not once in my life, have I ever refused to obey God. You're confused. We refuse to obey God all the time. Here's what you were thinking. You were thinking, Matt, I've never rejected God. I've never told God, I don't need you. Some of you maybe have said that. Wow. I don't know what it was, but it was impressive. Ask your kids later, they'll tell you. No, I got it. I remember. Okay. <laughs> We're thinking about rejection, right? Like, like you're thinking, I've never rejected God. Right? Many of us have rejected God. Some of you have said, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I'm doing my life without you. That's rejection. But for a lot of us, what happens is we think because we haven't said to God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't need you around. That somehow God and us are good. But that's not how it works. Right? There are basically two positions to take when it comes to God. You are either actively trying to follow him or you are refusing and rejecting him, whether you use the words or not. If you're not actively pursuing a relationship with God, then you are actively refusing and rejecting God. This is, this is the point Paul's making. You may never have declared your allegiance. He's, he's telling the church in Ephesus, I'm telling you. You maybe have never declared your allegiance to the devil, right? Devil, I'm going to obey you, commander of powers in the unseen world, the spirit at work uh, in the hearts of people. Um, I refuse and reject God. I'm following you instead. No, we don't think that way. We don't think that way. We, we just think that we're living a life where God's out here and evil's over here and we're just doing the best we can. But listen to me. You were dead. You were under God's wrath. You were in a bad 
precarious position because sin is real. And you were either following God or you were not. And when you're not following God, it doesn't end well. It's Paul's whole point here as he starts this. He's like, you were. And, and I know that, that talking about sin is unpopular in the culture, right? Because when we talk about sin, we start to think, no, 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 man, we're not bad people. I'm a good person. Listen, if I don't know you very well, I'm not suggesting that, that um, you don't do good things in your life. Please don't walk away thinking, well, he doesn't know me at all. How dare he say that, I don't, that, that I'm, I'm a bad person? You might do plenty of good. But it's not good enough. You might do some things that are good, but can I tell you this? You are still sin. You still have a sin nature. I know you have a sin nature because you inherited it. You got it from your parents. If they're here, look at them with disgust in your eyes. Because they gave it to you. They gave it to you. And their parents gave it to them. We inherit sin. Right? All the way back to Adam and Eve when they chose sin. We have a sin nature. That's the nature we have. That's what he says. All of us used to live that way. We followed the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Right? And because we did that... We are subject to God's wrath, to his anger, just like everyone else. And, and so just to clarify, if you don't believe that you got it from your parents, fine. Let's just admit that we all have it. Here's what I want you to do. And I know you're weird and you're like, some of you are like, I came to Easter Sunday because I was told I had to and I'm here and isn't that good enough? No, you have to participate. If you have ever lied, please raise your hand. Look around the room, and if somebody does not have their hand in the air, I want you to mark down that they are lying right now. <laughs> have you ever stolen something? It's okay, right? Like, listen, if you've got siblings, you stole stuff. <laughs> if you raided your parents' change purse... So you could buy Laffy Taffy at 7-Eleven, like I did. You stole something. All right, now don't raise your hand on this one. This is weird. If you're here by yourself, you're good. If not, just keep your hands down. Um, how many have ever lusted after someone? Give me a nod if you want, but keep it subtle. It's Easter. You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, if you've ever lusted... That's the same as committing adultery in your heart. How many of have you have ever been so angry with somebody that it festered? Jesus tells us, man, if, if you hate, if you have that kind of anger, that's as good as murder. So, are you ready for the most positive part of the Easter message here at Blessed Oak Community Church? <laughs> you are lying, thieving, adulterous murderers. You were. You were. 
And, and the reason we have to understand what we were is because it's only when we understand what we are and who we are and what's going on that we can begin to understand our need for God's grace. Because one of the things that God will not tolerate, one of the things that God is not having are people that think they're good enough without him. Because if you think you are good enough without him, then you have no need for a savior. And here's exactly what Jesus says about that in Mark. He says, you know what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. It's like, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. One of the things that my doctor has nicely stopped doing when I go see her because I've got some issue. I don't go see her often, right? Doctors and I don't mix, right? Because it used to be when I went to the doctor, she would have a talking with me. She's like, look at yourself. You got problems. And she was right. I never, but, but here's the thing. Eventually she quit. Why? Because I wasn't having it. Right? She would tell me, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd come in the next time and nothing would be different. Everything would be the same. Right? So eventually she just stopped. And you know what? I would have too. And so would Jesus. Because at some point, healthy people, not people that are really healthy, but people that think they're fine. Jesus is like, I didn't come for people that think they're fine. I came for people that know they're not. We've got to understand who we are or who we were before Jesus if we're ever going to understand what Jesus does. We were dead spiritually, and we were destined for an eternal separation from God. We were lying, thieving, adulterous murderers. That's who we were. Right? He says, that's who you were. Because of your sin nature, because of what was in you, that's who you were. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time on people that think they're okay. I need, to, I, I need to deal with, I need to save people that know they need grace. Listen to me. Jesus came for people that are blind but want to see. Jesus came for people that are lost but they want to be found. Jesus came for people that are at their wit's end and they need hope. And if you're not ready for that, then you're not ready for Jesus. That's who he is, and, that, and that's what he came for. And Paul knows all about that, right? Paul can write about God's grace in that way because Paul, um, more than anybody, knows how he needed it. You know, Paul used to kill Christians. You know, if you spent time in church, you knew that. But if, if church is new to you, then maybe you didn't know the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Before he became a Christian, before he became an evangelist, a church planner, he killed Christians. That was his deal, right? Like, and he doesn't get a pass because it was a long time ago, right? We're talking like, like, like think of ISIS, right? Think of thinking of dragging Christians and putting them on their knees and, and, and covering their, their um, heads with a hood and asking them to either denounce Christ or die. And if they don't denounce Christ, they're beheaded. It was actually humane compared to the way that Paul did it. 
Paul followed the Old Testament law for blasphemy, right? And so he would say, you either denounce Christ or you die. But the way they would do it is he would get a bunch of people to gather around you and pick up big rocks and they would throw them at you. Causing damage until you were on the ground and you couldn't move. And then you would lay there, right? You would lay there suffering and in pain until eventually you just succumbed to death. That's the way Paul did it. And Paul was a murderer. Paul killed Christians. And yet here he is writing to the church in Ephesus saying, you were dead. I was dead. I was spiritually dead and I was destined for an eternal death and separation from God in hell. The the difference is, Paul had a moment. Paul knew who he was. Then he had a but God moment. Paul's got but God moment happened um, uh, on the road, right? He was on his road to Damascus and uh, he was on his way to, to meet with the chief priest there. I'm just so curious. Aren't you curious? We should send a spy. I mean, I I know they're doing resurrection eggs and stations of the cross and all these kinds of things, but something is dramatically happening at that station. I'm going to find out. I'll report back next week. So here's the deal, right? Paul is on his road and he's going to meet with the high priest to figure out how to put these Christians down because they're starting to grow and they're starting to take over and, and he doesn't want it. And so on the way though, there is this big flash of light and he is blind, and he hears a voice, right? You can almost hear Paul, Paul describe this, right? He hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's like, uh, you, you know, he knows exactly who it is, but he still says, ah, Lord, who are you? And he says, man, I, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. He says, now get up and go and wait, right? And, and so Paul does, and he gets up, and he goes, and he waits. And, and then all of a sudden, a man named Ananias knocks on his door. He says, I'm here to lay my hands on you. I'm here to pray for you, right? This is a guy that should have hated Paul. This is a guy that should have been at least afraid of Paul, right? This is a guy that Paul was on his way to persecute and perhaps kill, But instead, what happens is Ananias loves him, puts his hands on him, and he prays for him. And as he prays, the word tells us that scales fell from Paul's eyes. I once was blind, but now I can see. Scales fell from his eyes. And Ananias spoke prophecy into him and said, this this Jesus that you used to persecute, you are now going to tell everybody about him. See, Paul had a but God moment. He was dead. But God intervened. And that's exactly what he tells the Christians in Ephesus. But God, you were a sinner with a sin nature and and, and you did evil. And it was even when you were a relatively good person, you still were following the enemy because you weren't actively following God and you were dead. But God It's the but God moment. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loves us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. You were, but God. God intervened. You were dead, but God doesn't leave you dead. You were spiritually separated from him. You were destined for hell. You were a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. But God, but God did something. Because God is so rich in mercy, and God loves you like crazy, he sent Jesus Christ. This is the whole point of the cross. This is why you got dressed up today and you came to church. I thought I was doing well because I put on a jacket. And then I saw some kids out there in suspenders and bow ties. And I realized that I did not bring my A-game. We were talking to David earlier and we said he wore his big boy pants because he's not wearing jeans. I didn't get that memo. This is why we celebrate Easter. It's the but God moment. We were dead. We were destined for hell. We were awful, terrible people. But God, being so rich in mercy and so full of love, sent Jesus Christ so that we could be saved. He gives us life, right? We were dead, spiritually dead, and destined for hell. He gives us life, spiritual life, and changes our eternal trajectory from hell to heaven. When does he do that? Well, he does that when he raises Jesus from the dead. The power of the cross. You were, but God, and now you're not. If you are a Christian here today, and being a Christian is, is, is just the fancy way of saying that you have decided to follow Jesus. If you are a Christian here today, then this is the reality for you. You were dead, but God intervened. That's the cross of Christ, and now you are alive. You are alive now, and you will be eternally. That's the whole point of the cross. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I want to encourage you to consider that. You were, but God. Now, now here's the thing. Some of us are Christians. Some of us have made the decision to follow Jesus. And life is still a struggle. I get that. I get that life is a struggle. But this isn't just for salvation either. Sometimes, once we've decided to follow Jesus, we need more but God moments. I'm not sure what the but God moment is that you need, but, but it's there. I mean, are, are you feeling hopeless, right? I get that you're feeling hopeless, but God can give you purpose and trajectory. Are you feeling stuck in addiction, right? Are you feeling stuck in bondage? Yeah, I get that, right? But God can give you real freedom, Are you feeling lonely and empty? Right? But God can fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you real relationship. Are you feeling lost? God can find you. Like whatever it is, there is this but God moment. You were, right? But God wants to do something. And why does he want to do it? Because he's gracious. It says that. It's that parenthetical statement right there that Paul makes. It is only by God's grace 
that he does any of this. You were, but God, by grace. You have been saved by grace. You know, in the Old Testament, here's what would happen. Every year, they were supposed to to celebrate something called the Passover. And the Passover pointed back to this moment in their history when they left Egypt. Um, And the Passover was this. They would take a one-year-old spotless lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb. And they were to take some of the blood, and they were to put it on the sides of their doorpost and on the top of their doorpost. In doing that, in putting it on the sides and on the top, what was supposed to happen is that the angel of death was that, that was going to bring death into their home, right? The righteousness of God that was bringing death would pass over them, right? The blood of the lamb would be a substitute, a temporary covering for them so that they were fine. It was a symbol, right, of the cross, Think about what would happen. That blood of the lamb would cover the door. And some that you would put on the top, it it would invariably drip. And as they came and went through the door, it would literally be covering them. It's a picture of what Jesus does. He is the perfect, spotless lamb who dies to take away the sins of the world, to cover our sins, right? And on the cross, his blood covers us. Right? It pays the penalty for us so that we are good. All by God's grace. We are but God by grace. Here's what Paul says. He's like, God saved you by his grace when you believed. He saved you by grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. Salvation is by grace through faith, through your belief. When you believe in Jesus right? And submit to, to follow Jesus. Salvation comes upon you. You can't earn it. You didn't do it. It is by grace through faith. We talk about this all the time, right? It's like, it's the easiest way. I know I've used this example before, but it's the only one I've got that really makes me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm communicating it well. And I like milkshakes, right? So the grace is the milkshake. It exists. It's given, right? Uh, I remember once, you know what I love? I love shamrock shakes because they're awesome. Who's with me? I got you, right? And so Deb Hessen knows that I like shamrock shakes. And every now and then when it's shamrock shake season, a shamrock shake will just show up by grace. (laughs) A free gift from somebody else that somebody else paid for. The shamrock shake is there. And there it is. But I I need to draw it into myself. Do you know what would be so disappointing? Is if the shamrock shake sat on my desk and I just looked at it. And I never partook of it. I need a straw. The straw helps me draw it to myself. Grace is like the shamrock shake. Faith is like the straw. Right? God's grace is available for everybody. You were. But God did a thing on the cross by grace. And it is available. But you've got to draw it to yourself. How do you do that? Faith and belief. 
Faith that it's real. Faith that Jesus is real. And belief that he died for you. You were, but God did a thing. And he did it all through grace. You can't brag about it. You didn't do it. By grace, God saved you when you believed. And, and Paul, knowing that they're egotistical and arrogant, just like we are, says, you can't take credit for it. God didn't save you because you were basically good enough. God didn't save you because you hadn't sinned as bad as the next guy. God didn't save you because you got baptized. God didn't save you because you gave enough money to the church. God didn't save you because you wore the right clothes to Easter Sunday. It's not a reward for good things that you do. Don't brag about it. God saved you by grace through faith when, when you believed and when you surrender. God saved me. I was a teenager. And, and it, it's not a dramatic story, but I knew something was wrong. I knew I wasn't right. I knew I was destined for um, hell. And I knew that I wanted to surrender to God. And I did, and he saved me. I was dead, but God did a thing, and by grace I was saved. There's, there's a, a story in the New Testament about a woman that's, that's caught in adultery, and her accusers literally drag her, probably half naked, and throw her at the feet of Jesus and say she was caught in adultery. The law says we're supposed to kill her. What do you say? She was ready to die. Jesus kneels down and, and he starts writing in the sand. We don't know for sure what he's writing. Pretty sure it's the word grace. And he says, fine. You want to throw stones at her. The person that hasn't sinned is the one that needs to throw the first stone. And they drop their rocks and they walk away. She was dead. But God did a thing by grace. Grace. The prodigal son, right? There's two sons. One of them says, you know what, dad? I know you're not dead yet, but sell your stuff and give me my inheritance because I want to go live my own life. Terribly um, disrespectful. And he takes his money and he goes to a distant country and he spends it on wild living, basically booze and women. And he runs out and he's destitute and he's starving to death and he thinks, you know what? I have no right to be called a son to my father anymore, but if I go back and beg, maybe he'll let me be a servant and then at least I can have some food to eat. And so he starts the long trek home, but he doesn't know that his father is watching for him, waiting and longing for him to come back. Right? He was starving to death and an outcast. But God did a thing, and by grace he was forgiven and welcomed and clothed in righteousness. Thief on the cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, there were two thieves hanging with him. One mocked him and said, hey, you say you could save people? Save yourself. Save me while you're at it. The other thief looks at him and says, you know what? Stop it. We deserve to be here. He hasn't done anything wrong. And he says to Jesus, hey, when you're in your father's kingdom, when you go to your father's kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, I tell you what, you will be with me in paradise today. He was 
spiritually dead, physically dying, and on his way to hell. But God did a thing, and by grace he was saved. Jesus looked at a man who could never join a church. He looked at a man who could never get baptized. He looked at a man who could not even help a little old lady cross the street, who was never going to do a religious work, who was never going to be able to do anything worthwhile, and he was as guilty as it gets. And Jesus said, I tell you what, today you will experience something amazing. Because you were lost, but now you're found. That's the grace that God gives. You were, but God, by grace. Last thing. He says this. He says, you know what? God will do this thing for you because he loves you. Because he loves you. Listen, do you understand what it means to be loved by God? Some of you have a life that you would say is full of love. You have people in your life that love you, that you love. You would say it is full in that way. Some of you, unfortunately, you're living a life that is devoid of love. You just, you just don't have that in your life. But I don't care what side of that continuum we're on. If you think that you've got an abundance of love in your life, if you think that your life is devoid of love, none of it is like being loved by Jesus. What happens on the cross because Jesus loves you, because God loves you, the love that he pours out as he hangs there and he says, it is finished. God, I have done everything that I came to do. It's finished. And you know what he says as he is being tortured and beaten and hanging there and dying? Here's what he says. He says, God, you know what? Forgive them. They don't know what they do. Why? Because I love them. Because I'm doing this for them. They were dead. But God is accomplishing something on the cross by grace. And Jesus is saying, I love them. This is for them. Don't hold this against them. Because he desires you. Here's what it says. It says, you are God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. He's created you new in Christ Jesus. You're his masterpiece. You know what masterpiece? You are his work of art. Like he has painstakingly worked to create you. God feels that way about you. He looks at you. He has loved you so much. He has done this thing for you out of grace that you are now his prized work of art. Look at me. I am God's masterpiece. Deal with it. Dr. Amber, you got to fix yourself. Uh Uh-uh. I am God's work of art. He did this on purpose. Who am I to argue? Listen, you are God's masterpiece. And some of you, some of you feel like you have blown it big time. You've betrayed somebody that you care about and love. You haven't been the dad that you wanted to be. Like like your life doesn't look the way you want it to look. Nothing is working out exactly how you planned it to be. And and, and you're like, "It's, it's, it's messed up. It's jacked up. It won't work. Yeah, you were. I get it, man. My life doesn't always look like I want it to look. 
You were. I was. But God did a thing on the cross so that by grace we can be made right. That's all I got for you. You were. But God, by grace, he did something to make you new. Listen, if you are here this morning and you have not experienced that grace, you have not had that work of God in your life. It is not complicated. The shamrock shake, I know it's a terrible analogy, but it's what I got. The shamrock shake is sitting on your desk. You just got to draw it unto yourself by faith, by believing, surrendering, following. Listen, it is so good to see your faces today. Um, Some of you I see all the time. Some of you, it's been a while, and I really am glad that you're here. Um, Some of you, we've not ever even met before, but whoever you are, you're here every week, it's been a while, or you're brand new. If you want to talk to me about that grace, man, come talk to me, and let's have a discussion about that grace. Let's talk about drawing it into yourself so that you, like me, can say, yeah, I was. But God did a thing by grace, and now I'm not. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we just love you so much. We thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless lamb that willingly laid his life down so that when you raised him from the dead, we could be changed to life. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the truth that while we were sinners and separated from you, God, that you did a thing through the cross and that by grace we are something different. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We pray that you'll bless the rest of this day, that you'll bless our family gatherings, that you'll bless our celebrations, that they will be honoring and glorifying to you, and that ultimately, God, you would be recognized for who you are and what you've done. We love you and praise you. Amen.